Well, good morning, friends. It is another beautiful day, and we have a great deal of scripture to look at today uh, in Lesson 3 in our study of Proverbs. We are looking at Wisdom and Truth is the title of the lesson. We are focusing on scripture in Proverbs, verses 20 through 22 of chapter 4. But as we get into that, I've got some questions for you. We're going to start out thinking about wisdom. And uh, the Bible teaches that there are different kinds of wisdom that exist in the world, or maybe coexist. Paul talks about human wisdom and describes that it's inadequate in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-21. James condemns earthly wisdom as demonic and confusing in James 3, 14-16. In contrast, godly wisdom comes from heaven and contributes to peace and righteousness. Godly wisdom is genuine and impartial. And godly wisdom is uh, uh, produces in the the one who follows godly wisdom, godliness, mercy, and uh, good fruits. We saw that in uh, Proverbs three uh, seventeen and eighteen. Now, if we think about the book of Proverbs, it champions godly wisdom as well as the rest of the Bible. Now, there's the first question for you. As you think about this, what type of wisdom have you observed in the world? And how does the world perceive godly wisdom? So those are the first two questions to think about, is what wisdom have you seen in the world? And how does the world often perceive Godly wisdom. Another question to kind of think of as we kind of start our brains rolling for another day is how would you identify a wise person? What makes someone wise? What gives them wisdom? What characteristics? would you recognize in his or her life if you said, well, that person is wise and they're wise because of? And how has wisdom affected their life? Get into those and answer hopefully some of that just to give you some chance to think about that. But we we do consider a lot of times that Proverbs champions godly wisdom. And in today's lesson, we're going to see that wisdom is the correct and consistent application of truth to the experiences of life. 
that's the idea of the truth meeting life. And we were going to be challenging ourselves to exercise godly wisdom and apply truth to our lives. So we'll be back with our study here in just a second. So we are back and uh, giving you a general outline of where we're going. We've got two major sections uh, for today's outline. The first one is the personal assimilation of God's Word. And that we're looking at Proverbs 4, 20 and 21. And then looking at Proverbs 4, 22 with the second section calling the personal application of God's Word. Now we've got several parts under the application, but we'll get to those as we are working through the lesson. So the first is the assimilation and then the application. The writer of Proverbs gives a careful description of wise living. His statements about wisdom reflect a conviction that truth must not be confined to the mind or to the scrolls of the law. God's truth, and catch this, God's truth is vibrant, pulsating, and relevant. We must interpret our circumstances in the light of His truth and must let it influence our decisions and guide our conduct. So as I talked about the personal assimilation of God's word, let's look together at Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. Now I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version. You can read uh, out of your own version. You can listen along. Um, and he starts out with, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Now, as we see this introduction in these first two verses, he gives his son some pointed instructions in, in Proverbs 4. He wants them to pay attention. And in 4, chapter 4, verse 20, there's a couple really unique uh, verbs there. Uh, attention and incline your ear. Pay attention, you know, give attention and uh, incline your ear. What's he asking his son to do? Um, he basically is saying focus. Put everything else aside and, and give this your full attention. I think it's hard not to imagine that Solomon um, grabs his, his son's 
chin in his hands and brings his eyes up so that they're looking directly into Solomon's eyes and says, listen up, pay attention. What I'm telling you is important. Perhaps even as he was sharing these verses, his voice drops a little uh, and the pace slows in order to communicate the seriousness of his message. Now, to assimilate means to bring into, to make it part of you. And he says, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, listen up. 21. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all the body. And this may not be something you thought of, but how does humility play a part in the hearing of God's word? Well, I think that you will see the answer in the fact that it takes humility to admit that we need help that comes from outside ourselves. Most humans like to think that we are self-sufficient or that we can successfully direct our own lives. Uh, but those are very prideful thoughts. And... God speaks clearly against pride in Proverbs 8.13 and 16.18 because God knows it's a major barrier to hearing his word. The pride barrier is often present in the parent-child relationship. And I can tell you, raising two, that it is there. I can think of times when the child, whether it was our daughter or our son, thought they knew better than mom and dad. They also know their parents aren't perfect. So in pride, they rebel against their parents' instruction, not realizing the foolishness of their decision. So they need to learn submission and obedience to their parents as part of submission and obedience to God. Now, I want to make it a personal application. Have you guys seen pride get in the way of your spiritual growth? Has there been a time... When you have said to God, I'm going my own way. I don't need your guidance. I don't need your help in this situation. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I'd say most of us could answer that. Yes, we have. But as we move on, Thinking of that, looking back to verse 21, don't let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. 
do you think you would use to call things that you don't allow to depart from your eyes? I'd call it important. I think Solomon really wanted his words and sayings to be his son's focus. So his son was not to let them depart through careless wandering or indifference. Uh, his son had a responsibility to feed himself on God's word. We believers today will never grow spiritually if we don't take the responsibility for feeding on God's word. And that's a daily diet of God's word. Solomon's words and sayings need to be rooted in his son's heart. That's where they keep him in the midst of your heart. So we um, look at this idea that Solomon is mentioning the heart because it's in our heart or what's in our heart that guides and directs our lives. Our actions and our attitudes then proceed from our hearts. We may be able to mask what's in our hearts for a while, but when pressed hard by the circumstances or people who uh, we really are come to the surface, our words and action eventually reveal what's in our hearts. And I've seen that in the workplace. You may have someone who says they're a certain type of person. They they have a certain type of, of way of dealing with people. But when they get that really challenging customer, they get that really challenging client, um, and then they become irritated, or then they become aggressive or then they become uh, snarky or rude uh, you're finding what's really coming out of their heart at that time Christ in the New Testament confronted the Pharisees for the condition of their hearts when they accused him of casting out demons by the power of Satan he told them that their evil words revealed their evil hearts. And if you want to look that up, you can jot down Matthew 12, 34 through 37. And we also see the writer of Psalms, uh, and specifically Psalm 119, concurring with Solomon about the wisdom of studying and applying God's word. And he testifies in Psalm 19, 119, 9, that scripture has a very curative effect on one's life, although the believers are subject to temptation, and every believer occasionally succumbs to temptation. The word of God points the way to recovery. So let's look at Psalm 119, verse 9. So let's bring that Let's turn our Bibles over there uh, to Psalms 119, 
119.9. It's the verse that says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Now, you want to keep your, your way righteous? Follow God's word. We also know that scripture not only has a curative effect, it has a preventative effect. As we study God's word, and we study it diligently, our ability to identify and discern temptation expands. And our ability to withstand temptation increases. The more that we study God's word, the better we are at identifying temptation before we're stuck in the middle of it, before we've fallen into the trap. And our ability to withstand it increases. The psalmist meditated upon God's word. We see that in Psalm 119, um, 15. Now let's go to the whole verse there. 119, 15. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. He viewed meditation as a step to the process of linking God's word to daily living. Now let's get a true understanding of biblical meditation. Because it's different than what we think of when we hear the word meditation today. Um, the word that's used medit for meditation today is really a false concept of meditation. In biblical meditation, the mind is always active. It is focusing on a particular meaning of the text of Scripture. It's considering its application. It's thinking of its use. Um, the mind is constantly going over and over the verse. The false, though popular, concept of meditation, many times called Eastern meditation, insists the mind be empty, inactive, void, before it embraces whatever thought or images surface. Now, um, I really wish I could show you the illustration that's in the PowerPoint, but let me try to give you a picture of the wise person. Um, we've got out of the verses that here back in Proverbs 4 that we were looking at, we have assimilation. We have the picture of a person standing next to him is a Bible that's open up 
and the verse ideas of letting them not depart from your eyes, that's responsibility. You have a responsibility to the scriptures. Now the scriptures enter through either your eyes or your ears, either through listening or like you're doing today, or reading as hopefully you're doing today. And we're doing this through humility. That's the incline your ear. And we're involving our heart and our mind. That's through study and uh, meditation. Keeping them in the midst of your heart. That's the center of the being. In this person, there are the idea of ideas and thoughts coming out of the scripture, entering into the person's mind through their eye and their ear. They're being stored in the heart. And then actions go out through the body, through that person's hands from the heart. And that is wisdom coming out. So we have assimilation of God's word, and then it goes out into application. Um, people um, who humbly recognize their need for, to be instructed in God's word, they also understand their responsibility to read God's word and their need to meditate on God's word, to have God's word in their heart to wisely apply it to life. So we're going to pause here and go on in just a moment to the application of God's Word. And uh, that will be where we're headed. And we'll be back here in just a second. Okay, we're back. And we're looking at now the application of God's Word. Proverbs and the rest of Scriptures we find exhort you to do something with the truth beyond simply knowing it. And Proverbs 4.22 that we've been looking at um, affirms there a, a strong positive result. And he says, when he's talking about these, these teachings, these things in scriptures, he says to the Solomon says, for they are life to those who find them, and health to all their body. So let's look at some of the things that we find in scriptures that are positive results. And I think the first and greatest is the guarantee of our salvation. Uh, Proverbs begins with the assumption that Solomon's son was a son of God. And this assumption is reflected in Solomon's statements about the fear of the Lord. And we looked at that last week. But if you want to go back and find some other statements about the fear of the Lord, go to Proverbs 1, 7, chapter 2, verse 5, and chapter 3, verse 7. He urges his son to obey um, the scriptures thereby proving he knew the Lord. Now, the Apostle John writes that in 1 John 2, 3, um, flip over to there, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
it's the showing that you are a child of God by the ability to keep his teachings. This assurance of salvation eludes those who believe they must earn their salvation by good works. Have they done enough? Um, was it the right thing? Um, or that they keep it by faithfully of, of following a prescribed lifts of duties. Remember that the Bible teaches that salvation comes as a gift from God to those who believe in Christ as their Savior. This assurance comes by believing God's promise that God saves eternally to all those who trust in Christ. Paul instructed the Romans that God saves sinners solely by grace. Solely by grace, not through actions, not through keeping lists, through faith in the Savior. And there, if you want to see that, go to Romans 3, specifically verses 24 through 26. Now let's look at another passage in 1 John, since we're there. Go over a couple of verses to 1 John 5. And we're going to look at 11 through 13. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And in verse 13, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now the thing that I like to point out is in verse 13, um, the word know there refers to the intuitive rather than the experiential knowledge. So our confidence about salvation rests in the unchanging authoritative statements of God's word. We know that we have scripture not because we've or not that we know that we have scripture, but we know that we have eternal life, not because of something we've done, something we've experienced, but because out of intuition, out of understanding and knowledge that we have gained based on God's word. And a question as we kind of wrap this up to think about, how would you expect your spiritual life to be different if you had no guarantee of your own personal salvation? It would be a popcorn life at best, meaning you'd be hopping around from point to point, trying to keep up with a spirituality that is constantly changing based on experience. I think another point that we see in when the scriptures are, is that scriptures are the gauge of our sanctification. The better we know and the better we apply biblical truth, the more productive and Christ-like our lives are going to be. Jesus prayed to his heavenly father that he wanted his 
friends to be sanctified. He said, sanctify them through your truth. That your word is truth. And as I shared this last week with a, a friend who was postmodern, I said, yes, there is truth. And Jesus came to testify to the truth. Some other verses that you can see, uh, Psalm, the very first chapter, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, and Colossians 3, 16 and 17, illustrate the place of Scripture in the believer's progress in sanctification. Like a mirror, the Bible of Proverbs actually, accurately reflects our spiritual condition. As we read through Proverbs, you're going to see the differences between a wise life, or a life lived in wisdom, and a life lived in foolishness. Solomon enables us to see ourselves as God sees us. So what would happen if we viewed... What would happen to the view of our spiritual lives if we never looked into the mirror of the Word? Would we never realize where we were needing to grow? Would we never realize where we are weak? Would we never realize where we are gotten off the path? Where we think we've got it together and we are failing miserably? Think about that for a little bit, and we'll be back to continue looking at other aspects of Scripture. Okay, so what else can we say that Scripture can do for us? I think uh, the next part would be that scriptures are a goad or a prick to maturity. They, they, they help direct us. They help keep us in line. As Solomon taught his son, he challenged him to become more spiritually mature. The words life and health in uh, 422 relate to a vigorous, strong, and mature uh, living life, a mature life. Throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon steers his son away from foolish and immature attitudes and conduct. He applauded disciplined life, the pursuit of godly wisdom, and the commitment to obey God. We're going to open our Bibles again, uh, but this time <coughs> to uh, Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first 13 verses, and I'll go ahead and read those, and as I do that, just kind of listen and make note of foolish and immature attitudes that Solomon steers his way, his son away from in this passage. Proverbs 3, 1 through 13, my son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments, for the length of days and, and years of life and the peace they will be added to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. 
bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So if you find favor and a good repute in the sight of God and man, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing to your body, a refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty, so your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Well, the thing I think he said to steer away from was avoiding discipline and to loathe reproof. When God disciplines us, we need to accept that because we realize that God disciplines out of his love. Now, in the same passage, what aspects of the discipline life did he um, applaud? Well, we can see in this passage that he doesn't want you to forget his teachings. He wants uh, to always keep kindness and truth about you, uh, that uh, you will be uh, have favor and a good repute in man with God and with man. Uh, trust God. Uh, acknowledge Him in all your ways. Do not be self-wise. That means don't see, lean on your own understanding. Uh, fear the Lord, which we understood was to show reverence. Turn away from evil. Uh, honor the Lord with uh, your wealth. Um, and we've got a good aspects there of the disciplined life that he does see. Other places that you can see... Um, the value of wisdom as a means to maturity. And I'm going to give you a whole run of lists. We start in verse uh, chapter 2, verses 10 through 20. This passage here in chapter 3, 1 through 13. Also toward the end of the chapter in 31 through 35. Chapter 8, 33 through 36. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Chapter 11, 27 through 31. Chapter 12, 15. Uh, chapter 13, 14 through 17. Chapter 14, 15 through 18. Chapter 15, 1 through 5. Chapter 19, 1. And uh, chapter 28, verse 26. Now the the high value on wisdom as a means to maturity um, is not just limited to there, but we also see it in the New Testament. It challenges us, us to maintain spiritual maturity, and we could see that in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and 1 Peter 2, 2, and 1 Peter 3, 18, the first part of that verse. 
we see that scripture also helps us guard against sin. Um, here in verse 7, uh, the second part says, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Uh, we need to be wise. We need to know what we need to have reverence for and what we need to turn away from. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.11 that Israel's experiences provide lessons for the church. God reveals himself through his relationship with Israel in the Old Testament. And we learn lessons about God from those episodes. Lessons the Israelites and sometimes failed to learn. If we exercise wisdom commended in the Proverbs, we will be alert to the temptations of the evil one and prepared to defend him, defend ourselves from him. Paul's list of the armor in Ephesians 6 also assigns a prominent role to scriptures. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The term word translated refers to specific sayings of scripture. In other words, Satan tempts us. We ought to defend ourselves by employing specific word of memorized scripture. Solomon repeatedly challenged his son to remember the words he had taught him. He pleaded with him to remember his words of instruction. We see that here in this passage as well. And here he says, resist temptation to act foolishly. He also teaches him to, uh, to avoid stealing and to commit adultery and to lie and to deceive. He is resisting temptation. Some of you may understand what a governor is besides the person that sits in our capital. When we talk about having an engine that has a governor, God establishes scripture to be the governor of our behavior. It is something that has um, the ability to oversee um, and with it we live under its control, um, its supervision. Uh, Moses taught the Israelites that they were to live under the supervision of God's word, that God's word sits over them. And that we see in 8.3 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8.3. Christ even cites Deuteronomy 8.3 when he repeated Satan's suggestion, um, or rejected Satan's suggestion, that he turned stones into bread in Matthew 4.4. 4. In uh, his second letter to Timothy, Paul writes that, and I love it in the new in the King James, so let's just go there. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That's second Timothy three sixteen. In all other words, scripture uh, profoundly affects our behavior. God designed the word to address every aspect of our lives. 
Scripture is the very thing we are that is needed for positive instruction. That would be doctrine. Confronting wrong behavior, that's reproof. Replacing wrong behavior with correct behavior, that's correction. And training to ensure appropriate behavior and spiritual maturity. Instruction in righteousness. Scripture can also be a source of grace in times of crisis. Now this may be rhetorical. Who hasn't benefited from God's word in a time of great difficulty? I think all believers can find comfort in God's word. Proverbs, like many of the books of the Bible, provide encouragement when we face crisis. Proverbs 3 presents a number of real-life situations when God gives grace in times of need. I'll give you a few minutes. I'm going to pause after I tell you what I'd like you to do, is to go back to this chapter in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Read the whole chapter. Highlight, mark down on your notes, however you like to do it encouraging statements that you find and thank God for those in there um, in the in the in the passage that you can see again the grace that's found in times of need I think one last thing is that the guide we see in decision-making that Scripture provides. And I think if we stay here in chapter 3, I think we find perhaps the most famous verse that fits this category is chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. The entire book of Proverbs exalts God's word as a source of knowledge and wisdom. It guides the decisions of the wise rather than the foolish. It helps choose our friends, abstain from intoxicating beverages, use our money wisely, build strong family, strong social and strong business relationships. As we study Proverbs in the weeks ahead, we should pray out of Psalm 86:11 Teach me my way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth, unite my heart to fear thy name. As we close off today, and we think back um, to that picture of assimilation taking God's word into our body into our heart and hiding it there and then applying it out into our lives. I have two questions. How well would you assess your assimilation of God's word into your life? Are you doing it well? Are you working at it or not doing it well at all? Once you've answered that question, what will you do to improve your assimilation of God's Word? And then 
along that same lines is how would you assess your application of God's word into your life, the application side. How well are you doing it? Well, working at it, or not well at all? And the last question is, what are you going to do to improve your application of God's word? My friends, we will see you next week. And we look forward to being together again. And until then, may God add blessing to your life.